Hi folks, this is Rico. You're about to listen to a special guest podcast by Dave, who has done a few shows for us before and always does a great job. But I just wanted to mention that uh, today will be podcast 559. It's going out on October the 18th, 2015. And uh, two other announcements, uh, one being uh, next weekend, the 25th, will be a, a special Halloween show with Jen, Angela, and myself. Jen and Angela from the Anomaly Podcast are going to talk about Halloween and scary stories and movies and costuming and all kinds of cool things. And I'll be seeing them, of course, in two weeks at Austin Comic Con down in Texas for that annual uh, geek fest that we have for the past few years when I've gone down there with them. So uh, that's about it. Oh, also, uh, please visit patreon.com forward slash treks and sci-fi. And if you are able to make maybe a couple dollar donation uh, per month to uh, building the new set for the show and a new podcast I'm going to be doing uh, starting in a couple of months and a whole lot more. So anyway, without any further ado, here is Dave with his special guest podcast for this week on Treks in Sci-Fi. Thanks for listening. This week, we're reviewing a classic 1960s British import. So put on those go-go boots and hang on to your bowler hat, because this is episode 559, Treks in Spy-Fi. Mrs. Peel, we're needed. shows on TV when I was a kid. I watched Batman and Get Smart and of course Star Trek. But one favorite of mine didn't come on till after 10 p.m. And I remember having to ask permission to stay up late and watch it. And that was The Avengers. Emma Peel and John Steed would go from week to week having the most outlandish adventures. I love that show because it was so crazy and it never took itself too seriously. Even as a youngster I could tell the difference between the writing of this TV show and something a little more commercial. So here it is, what, about 40 years later and I've been doing a rewatch. And you know the episodes are actually better than I remember. They're nostalgic, they're charming, and Steed is just as witty. Thank you. You haven't met Mr. Steed, have you? How do you do? Joan Collins once hosted an Avengers TV special where she describes John Steed. The Avengers was an adrenaline-charged, off-the-wall action-adventure series which became one of ITV's biggest ever hits. Every week, millions of loyal fans thrilled at the exploits of the debonair secret agent John Steed. 
With his trademark bowler and brolly, Steed would foil the diabolical plots of fiendish villains with more than a little help from his partners in crime fighting. The Avengers ran for nine years, and in that time, while production techniques evolved and the girls came and went, Patrick McNee was a constant. He was the essential cornerstone of the entire Avengers phenomenon. This is a great quote from Roger Marshall. The Avengers wasn't created, it evolved, rather like fossils become oil. And it's hard to believe now that there were four years of studio-bound video production before the show saw the light of celluloid. Steed started life out as a trench-coated secret agent with a cigarette drooling out of the corner of his mouth, all the allure of a Soho pimp. The bowler, the brawly, and the natty old Etonian elegance were yet to come. This review only covers seasons four and five with the arrival of Diana Rigg as Emma Peel. For complete information that covers the entire series, I highly recommend the Avengers Forever fan site. I refer to it for most of this review. And speaking of Emma Peel, she was a fine match for Steed, like Spock to Kirk. Mrs. Peel, as Steed always called her, was a martial artist with a near-genius IQ. 11 organized murders. The chances of coincidence are in the region of... 27 million to one. It's a generality. You can have an exact figure if you like. No, to the nearest million will do. What makes all of this so endearing is the wonderful chemistry between Steed and Emma and their droll observations on their circumstances, no matter how dire. Interestingly, some of their clever banter was written by McNee and Rigg, who virtually invented their characters themselves, since the producers were, almost literally, making things up as they went along. Now we see what Watkin has to say for himself. Oh, and Varnell's be there too. Treat him gently, won't you? What do you mean? We seconded from the Ministry, eager beaver, everything in triplicate. Wonder what do you think of you? And while some consider Steed nothing more than a James Bond knockoff, the Avengers, in fact, predated the 007 films. McNee has remarked that he hated the Ian Fleming stories, in particular the way James Bond treats women. It did advance the cause of feminism because up till then you had the odd bitch and the murderess, but you hadn't had a woman who was the equal of the man. Apart from me, you're the best driver I know. Emma Peel brought with her a lighter touch, a jet-set attitude to life and stunning new, specially designed fashions. Oh, and she'd arrive behind the wheel of the latest open-top sports car. Enter Diana Rigg. At 26, she brought her own wit and charm and changed the overall dynamics of the TV show. Patrick McNee's character, Steed, became even more anglicized, playing to the hilt every upper-class British mannerism known, and the story shifted to more fantasy settings, so no matter how bizarre any plot could be told, although the roots of this style were still based in real-world budgetary restrictions. Steady as she goes. Full speed ahead. Now the stories range from the standard spy versus spy Cold War stories of the day to replicant robots, ghosts and hauntings, hypnosis and brainwashing, usually by a money-hungry evildoer, and even UFOs with lasers. Speed! Oh, Mrs. Peel. 
Now, where have you been? Chasing an unidentified object. That's the vernacular, isn't it? An unidentified object? A sphere. A ball of bright light. A thing. Oh, from outer space? Ah, you're not trapping me into an opinion. Season four was said to have the best episodes in writing, and while it was still produced in black and white, this only added to the film noir feeling of the scripts. A favorite episode from then is titled The Hour That Never Was. It's very reminiscent of season two of Lost with the discovery of the Dharma Initiative. We get to see what Steed and Mrs. Peel do best, just bounce quips off each other, and along the way learn a little more about Steed's background as he speaks of his career in the Royal Air Force. A bright spring day, and on their way to a farewell party at the airbase, Steed and Mrs. Peel narrowly avoid hitting a random dog running across the road, but crash their car into a tree, and soon have to continue their journey on foot. Mrs. Peel? Are you... Are you all right? Mm, I think so. How about you? I'm a bit shaken, that's all. Ooh, and a bruise you'll just have to take my word for. Ooh. What happened? Dog. Oh, yes. Did we hit it? Oh, my reflexes are in top form. Ooh. Oh, they needed to be two street across the road, just like that. How far's the camp? Oh, about half a mile, if you don't mind walking. As they leave the wrecked car behind, the camera zooms in on something they failed to notice. A broken clock on the dashboard is stuck on the hour 11 o'clock. Must confess it's not the first time I've ended up in the ditch around here. Huh. I remember one Christmas, 15 of us in a four-seater car. The fire brigade had to cut us loose. Amazing, really. We had time to win the war. I thought you said the main gate was... Shortcut. Secret back entrance. Very handy after lights out. I wonder how much of this scene is ad-libbed. As Steed and Emma are walking across a stone bridge chatting, she's high up on her railing and jumps down to the road to follow Steed down a path and through a gate. Cat's eyes Steed, that's what they called me. Returning from a mission, hunched over the controls, eyes rimmed with fatigue, the men groaning in the back. Where'd you been, the Roar? No, the local pub. There's a gap in the wire, a place you can slip through. Once on base, things take a turn for the spooky. As our host isn't here to receive us, do have a drink, Mrs. Peel, Mr. Steed. So glad you would come to our little shindig. <laughs> Shade too much grenadine. Your recipe, I suppose. Naturally, wherever I linger, I leave my mark. Well, we have all the ingredients for a party. Where are all the people? You're sure you've got the right day, Steve? Well, it looks like a party. President and members of the mess request the pleasure, etc., etc., Saturday, 11 a.m. Well, they can't have been gone long or gone far. With no one at the officers' club to greet them, Steed and Emma split up to explore the empty buildings for clues. They should have also have noticed the clock in the officers' mess had stopped at 11 a.m. 
I've always had a fascination with abandoned places, and the scenes in this story are most surreal. Grant Guggins, in his review of this episode, says that this is a potentially good introduction for new fans of The Avengers, a well-structured, engaging story with lots of location filming and plenty of scenes, with just Steed and Mrs. Peel talking together as they investigate the airbase. The direction is very good, and plenty of eerie, almost hallucinatory scenes of the deserted base. A lone figure is seen running across the runway. A shot rings out, and of all people, it's a milkman. He crumples to the tarmac, dead. Steed and Emma search in the direction of the shot fired, only to find another clue. Not a soul. One dead rabbit. It's not dead. Look. Unconscious. Why? What did it? Rabbit punch. Entering a massive empty hangar, Steed surmises the situation. Unconscious rabbit. One dead milkman. Ten thousand bottles of milk. Thirty highly trained technical men just up and dance away from uh, Hamlin. A common thread to these unexplained happenings is this odd sound that appears and disappears throughout the day. Now Steed and Mrs. Peel are off to find it. They split up, taking two different directions, and soon after, Steed is hit on the head by a falling gate, only to wake up again at his wrecked car. He is alone. Mrs. Peel. He makes his way back to the base and enters the officer's club. All seems normal, with the party just getting underway. Steed! John Steed! Steed is still feeling the effects of the bump on the head, and as luck would have it, there's a doctor at the party. Well, actually, the base dentist. He gives Steed a once-over, a bit of advice. Made you feel a bit groggy, did it? A little. Well, there's a chance of male concussion. Might get a bit of giddiness. Mind a bit hazy. Might even get the odd hallucination. Oh, dear. How did it happen? I swerved to avoid a dog, and the car ran off the road. And then mentions Mrs. Peel. Me then, weren't they? Sorry to hear about Mrs. Peel, by the way. I was looking forward to meeting her. What's that about Mrs. Peel? Easy. What happened to her? You are shaken, aren't you? What did he mean about Mrs. Peel? Well, merely that she couldn't make the party. That's all. She found her apologies through about an hour ago. Excuse me. One question that I had was, where do they get this dumb bar music? I think I've heard it in about every western I've ever seen. Well, this mystery's getting thicker, but the episode's almost over. 
So in good fashion, Steed gets back on his game and starts asking questions. What did you get out this morning, Jeffrey? Well, about 9.30, I suppose. Why would you do that? Well, don't do that. What are you talking it about? It could be important, please. Well, I, I don't know. I climbed into a bath, shaved. Used an electric razor? Yeah. Then what'd you do? Well, I got dressed, left the house, came over here. Had the milkman called. The milkman? Had he delivered the milk? Well, I don't know. I suppose he had, yes. What time did you get here? Well, just before you, about 11. Is Hickey still... The clues are beginning to add up. He has found Mrs. Peel's watch, so she has to be on the base somewhere. Feeling any better? Oh, yes, I'm fine. A little fresh air, be as light as rain. Good idea. He steps outside and finds the dog that he had nearly run over. And Dog on it starts following him in search for more clues. <laughs> When suddenly it's that weird sound again, but now it's approaching, and around the corner comes the milkman, of course, and he's out making his deliveries. As a matter of fact, he's got the body of the original milkman on the back of his truck, and he's delivering it to the dentist's office. Of course, who would expect the milkman driving his little electric truck, making deliveries? Morning. Steed heads to the dentist office where he finds Mrs. Peel gagged and tied to the chair. Mrs. Peel, nice to see you again. I've heard of being scared of dentists, but when they have to tie you to the chair, oh. what happened? I, I suddenly felt dizzy and I must have passed out. The next thing I knew I was here, but how I got here? Probably a milk float. They do a regular service, door to door every five minutes. Why a milk float? Well, the most innocent thing they could find. What would you think if you saw one? Milkman doing his round? Well, at this point, the puzzle pieces are really falling together now. And for the sake of the episode and this podcast, so it doesn't run too long, Mrs. Peel is going to tie up all the loose ends with a bit of exposition. Steve, these ampules. C11. C11. It's a derivative of the truth drug used in brainwashing. Suppose someone were to put this entire camp into a coma, a hypnotic state, and then brought them here and went to work on them. All right, so that's what happened, wasn't it? Your watch, 20 past 12. They wake up at 12 o'clock, and yet all the clocks on the camp say 11 o'clock. Back where they started. One hour of their lives gone, just like that. Huh. So that explains daylight savings time. They don't remember a thing. But perhaps they do. One particular thing. Steve, the unit's breaking up, isn't it? Dispersing all over the globe. Well, if I'm right, and they have been brainwashed, then something could have been planted into their subconscious. Something that could be triggered off at a moment's notice. A potential saboteur in every strategic airbase in the world. They continue the technobabble discussion of ultrasonic sound to render unconsciousness but Steed keeps playing with that dang dentist drill, which is very annoying. Finally, the mastermind reveals himself, and it seems fitting that it is an evil dentist. Quite a creditable explanation. I could pretend it was years of experiment, my life work, but it wasn't. 
It was an accident. Found that by raising the speed of the drill, I could induce myself into a hypnotic state. I took it from there. Ultrasonic apparatus, high-speed drill. Simple, but remarkably effective. Don't you think? Quite remarkable, yes. Uh, what's the next step? An auction. 30 preconditioned brains to the highest bidder. Ought to make me a rich man. But first, I have to deal with you. The obligatory fight scene ensues, yada, 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 and the baddies are rounded up. The nation is secure. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this brief review of The Avengers and Episode 91, The Hour That Never Was. I left out plenty of details in this episode, like the homeless man that Steve interrogates in the bar, a nice performance by Roy Kinnear, and the nitrous oxide fight scene at the dentist office. That was pretty amusing. Though part Twilight Zone, Omega Man, and sometimes even Dr. Strangelove, Steve and Emma Peel's sense of fun always keep me coming back for more. So, this has been Dave, or Dave Kill on the forums, saying thanks to Rico, and again, thanks to you guys for tuning in this week on Treks and Sci-Fi. Relaxing, isn't it? I promised you a quiet drive in the country. What could be quieter than a milk float? Especially the way you drive. <laughs> Who's driving?
Thanks in Sunday.